But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. Did you guys see this story? This is from a while back. This is another thing that's kind of been on the list for a while before, sun and fun. But this Qantas flight in uh, in uh, Australia, okay? And it, so, I'm, shock, I'm shocked there'd be a Qantas flight in Australia. Yeah, I know. I'm just, okay. I'm just shocked by this. I know. So let's see now. It launched. It's a, This is a uh, Airbus, I believe it's an Airbus 380. Let me, where's the story? Airbus 380. Airbus Correct. 380 that launched out of Melbourne. And was headed for someplace far away. Where was it here? I'm sorry. I'm scanning the story. Dubai. Dubai. Okay. And uh, was headed for Dubai and quickly after take after launching discovered uh, uh, had a problem, which they characterized later on as an engineering issue. All right. But here's where the story gets weird in my view anyways, and maybe you'll tell me this is totally normal. Um, rather than just kind of turning around and landing either back at Melbourne or someplace nearby, all right, they decided to fly around for like, 12 hours, all right? Um, and then eventually landed at Sydney, which is, you know, sort of uh, an hour's flight away from Melbourne. I mean, you look at the map here. You guys may be looking at right. the map, but right. their, their, tra- their flight track on the map had them flying half or two-thirds of the way across Australia, then right. turning around. and, and but, but by the way, they noticed the problem, I think, before they got two-thirds of the way across Australia. And then they turned around and they came back. And and then they had to hold over because Sydney first because Sydney has a curfew you can't land before six a.m. And then apparently according to this story, once the curfew opened up, they didn't have priority to land. They had to wait for a bunch of scheduled flights to land. This story bothers me. This is just crazy. There's, yeah, there's there's a lot going on here. Um, apparently they had a, they noticed a vibration in one of the engines. Yes. Which is is certainly sufficient to to abort the flight. Yes, uh, you going over that much water. So uh, they made the decision to abort the flight. Then then I'm sure scheduling got into the act, and I'm sure uh, somebody at corporate got into the act and said, "Well, wait a second. We got all these passengers on a 380. They need to go to Dubai. Where's the nearest 380 that we have ready to go?" Turns out it's at Sydney. So you're uh, saying, so I guess what you're getting to here is that this wasn't a significant, um, um, you know, problem, you know. Uh, 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 I don't think it was a significant maintenance or engineering problem. No, I think it turned into more of a, well, uh, what are we going to do now? Um, we're not going out over the Indian Ocean to go to Dubai, so we need to land somewhere. But, you know, we have other problems, too, because we still have this flight to complete and 400 some odd Australians who want to get to Dubai. I guess the de- the decision tree must be different when you've got four engines as opposed to one or two, um, because you know, I, I, it just seems odd to me that once they decided they had enough of a problem that they weren't going to their destination, they didn't get on the ground. You know, I mean, as a uh-huh. as the kind of well, pilot they, I am, they, it's like you get on the ground, right? David, go ahead. Well, they they weren't even they were barely halfway across Australia right. at yeah. two and a half hours in. You know, it it, 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 it takes a little. Uh, uh, what's the word I want here? It takes a little stretch of the brain to recognize just how freaking big Australia is. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no that question. an A380 is two and a half hours in the air, and it's still got two hours and change, maybe three, before it hits the Indian Ocean. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, and yeah, there's a there's a there, there's a, a, a 
tendency to be a little overcautious when you're dealing with engines that cost multiple millions of dollars each. Okay. See, now there's a bad decision-making basis as well, if you ask me. Well, yes and no. Um, Yeah, Yeah, okay. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not sure that, I mean, the engine itself, I don't know if they secured it. I don't know if they left it running. Um, and it could have been a thing where Rolls or, or, or Qantas Maintenance said, hey, you know, just leave that sucker running. I want, we want to see what's going to happen to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, all right. I guess I understand okay. that. We want to see if we want to, yeah, we want to know. You got four of them, and you're over land. And you're 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 coming back to an airport, so I mean, uh, we want to you know. Let's see if this is a sensor problem. Let's see if this is indeed a uh, um, a problem with the engine, and let's collect some more data. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess. Well, the yeah, the fact that they weren't over water, I think uh, it was a a big factor in the captain deciding not to declare an emergency an emergency, because if he'd have done that. He could have motored right back into Sydney uh, in spite of the curfew. No, I know. And ahead of all that other traffic. Mm -hmm. But he decided not to declare an emergency. So uh, that that really stretched it out once they got back into that airspace. That's right. But I I, I imagine that the uh, food service was probably just great. (laughs) I want to know how many miles they got. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> did they? <laughs> uh, what oh, Qantas? What, what is Qantas's miles? Uh, did they get miles just from Melbourne to Sydney, or did they get miles all the way out to the middle of Australia and back? And can, then... <laughs> can you get can you get double miles on that flight? I mean, how do you how, how does that work? <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking these passengers got a little bit more than miles for this uh, inconvenience, but uh, and then but they put Jack, them on... you're you're right about the, the 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 thinking being a little differently when you've got four engines. Yeah, I guess I know. And then they put them, and then then they got to Sydney. As was it Sydney, where they got to uh, Sydney, um, took them off a three eighty, which broke, and put them on to another three eighty. I've always thought that it would be my rule of thumb, my rule of life. All right, is that if I was on an airliner that was bad enough that it had to land for this kind of reason, I wouldn't get back on one of the same type. It's, maybe that's a superstition thing, or I don't know what. But uh, that's that's like never fly the A model of anything. Yeah, kind of like it, kind of like that. So, uh, uh, anyways, so Qantas. Well, and, and with something else to keep in mind too here, it, it, Qantas already had an A three eighty suffer an uncontained engine failure. I know. Back some some time ago. Yeah, and and didn't was it the three? That's that's true. That's a that's a that's an interesting uh, um, recollection. That, um, you know, maybe getting that sucker on the ground could have been a smart thing in in light of you know that that previous uncontained failure. Yeah, but the engine I, the engine engineers wanted to find out what was going to happen. So uh, no, we don't know. That. I, that was I got to presume. Yeah. I got to presume they secured the engine. Yeah, you would think. But anyways, all right. Well, so. Yeah, I'd be curious to know how many miles they got, but uh, they, they probably got free drinks for most of this 20-hour, to eight hours. It, it wasn't 12, either. it was an eight-hour. The, the, the flight to nowhere, so to speak, was eight hours long, apparently. So, right. But they got to see a lot of Australia. Yeah. Of course, it was night. It was nighttime over the desert, you know, so I don't know. Anyways. Maybe, maybe they everybody got caught up on, their, on the latest movies. 
I'm sure. I'm sure. Hey, welcome. Oh, oh that would have been a triple feature. I bet they were out of liquor, though, when they landed. I bet. I bet. <laughs> hey, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire. And uh, I'm here this afternoon talking to two of my good friends, uh, and uh, where the uh, the uh, the uh, computer gremlins have have moved from Kansas to to uh, Florida. Yeah, they have. Uh, and uh, so <laughs> I'm not, I'm just pretty sure it's going to get worse before this gets better. But uh, but we'll we'll marshal on through here and uh, and and land as needed. Um, talking to my two good friends. Uh, one of those good friends uh, ta- from talking to us from his shiny new brand new computer is Dave Higdon in Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> hey, David, how you doing? Uh, well, the fact that I bought this machine last night and didn't open the box till this morning, the fact that I'm talking to you all at all yeah. makes yeah. me feel just fine. Yeah. So congratulations on the new computer. Um, yeah, good, good job. You you managed to get it before the smoke escaped, um, which is always a good thing. Uh, but I get the yeah. feeling yeah. I get the feeling that that you 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 uh, you're parted with the old computer just barely before the smoke escaped. Because that one was on its well, last legs. It, the uh, the uh, uncommanded un, un, uh, shutdowns were getting more frequent. Yeah, well, that would be a sign, you know, vibrations and, uh, in the in the in the uh, in the uh, engines, you know, just flying yeah. around for eight yeah. hours. What the heck, you know? And uh, well, and uh, I, I took it in uh, because I had a big project I needed to be able to write on uh, yesterday. So Tuesday, I took it into a local shop and the old one. And the guy said, yeah, it's fixable, but it's going to take a lot of work. And the uh, cost of that was more than – it was going to come to about a third of what this new one cost me. And at that point, I said, yeah. Yes. So congratulations on your new computer. How are you doing? What's going on? Anything fun otherwise? Well, uh, got a nice weekend lined up. Uh, I go from here to pick up some uh, food to donate to EAA Chapter 88, and they're having their – first open house in their new headquarters over at Jabara Airport oh, tomorrow morning. Cool. Very and cool. Uh, they recruited me to get over there at 6.30 in the morning and head up, help set up tables and chairs. Oh, doing and some real it's work. It's a pancake breakfast, tri- typical EAA style. It's a pancake breakfast. So it is going to be a short night and an early wake up. Very nice. Very nice. Don't, don't, don't you have an airplane to put together? Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of kicking myself for volunteering for this. But uh, I got the rest of tomorrow afternoon, and I'm all set up to uh, finish up the flaps and start on the ailerons. All right. Okay. Nice. Nice. Well, we'll get a more cool. complete report later on. But first, let me say hi to my other good friend here, which is uh, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How, How we doing? doing? I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah? I'm good. Um, yeah. Um, you're on your you're, you're on busy, your busy. laptop computer because you're because for some reason we can't get Skype to work on your regular desktop computer. Skype works. I can't get the hardware to to do the audio thing. Right. And so we. Uh, and, so, and I'm thinking about yanking this um, this headset out of this laptop when the battery runs down and running back into the desktop. I think that might be the the cure here. We'll do that on a break or yeah, something. Yeah. Right. Well, no, we'll do it when because the, then what happened was so you're on your laptop, which works just fine. The problem is when you plugged it into power because there's only about 25 percent on the battery. We got a, a hum, hum. Yeah. so that yeah. didn't couldn't figure out how to fix that. So battery's going to run out before we get done here, and then this is telling me I have an hour eighteen minutes. Oh, so well, if you do, then it's fairly nominal. So we'll talk fast, <laughs> right? If it's hour go. eighteen minutes—that's just about exactly the length of our podcast. So, uh, what's going so. on down there, uh, Jeb? Anything fun? 
Uh, work, work, work. Yeah. Um, I'll be working this weekend trying to finish up a project, or actually two projects, but uh, doing some flying next week and um, uh, looking forward to that. Just got to get over the work hump. Yeah. That twin you've been flying, I saw went flying the other day. That wasn't you, I take it. It wasn't me, no. Okay. No. I think it was the twin, yeah. although it might have been the... Uh, I, I follow three airplanes in the world on FlightAware. Yeah. I, I follow yours. I follow the twin that you've been flying uh, doing your uh, training, and, uh-huh. I, and, I fl- and I follow the smoke har- Smokehouse uh, 152. Ah, of course, of course. Which is the uh, famous 152 that has busted the, uh, the Washington uh, TFR like three times or twice. Or sure. Like that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so, um, busted the freeze. The freeze, excuse me. It's freeze. A, well, isn't it correct? Wouldn't it be accurate to generically call it a TFR? But uh, it's not temporary. Oh, you're right. Anymore. It's not temporary. Okay. No, no, that's my. It's, it's by regulation now. No, 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 I stand. I stand corrected. You're absolutely right. TT. Uh, there's the CIFRA, the Special Flight Rules Area, and then the freeze, the FRZ, the uh, um, flight restricted zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, on the last episode, uh, you told us about your buddy. Um, uh, uh, I keep wanting to say Al Icorn, but that's not really his a- name. It's, a- Al Icorn, yeah, it's, yeah, that's fine. But it's it, everybody knows that. Yeah, um, uh, who had, had launched off on a, uh, a flight around the world in his uh, in yeah, his Bonanza, well. and uh, um, you got an update for us. What's going on? Well, he is uh, he's he's cleared Asia. Uh, he is uh, in Majuro, which is the Marshall Islands. Okay. Okay. He he was planning on going through uh, Australia, and I don't have the story on why that that didn't happen, but uh, it didn't happen. And he basically went Manila, Philippines uh, to Guam, uh, that got him back into U.S. airspace, and then he's uh, um, went from Guam to Majuro, which was, as I understand, he says, thirteen hours and fifteen minutes. Oh, man, that's like, doesn't he know you can get on an airliner and make it all the way to uh, Shanghai? No, that's, that that's, that's kind of not the point. Yeah, no. Uh, oh, no. uh, um, but uh, his next stop is Honolulu. Oh, well, he's like booking. Uh, he's doing just fine yeah, then, huh? Next yeah, next stop is Honolulu, and uh, then the longest leg of all, which is Honolulu to the West Coast. Is it really? That's interesting. I think it, I think it still is the longest leg of this trip. Uh, I don't know all the, uh, specifically all the details. Yeah. Um uh, I've got to text out to him as to what his plans are. Right, uh, right. But uh, um, now, this website that you you pointed us to, flybluehorizons.com, This is his blog. Is that what this is? That's just his web, website. His blog. That yeah, is correct. He's posted a bunch of cool pictures. He's, got, he's got some great stuff. He's you know just having the time of his life. That sounds uh, like it. It sounds like yeah. it. He. Uh, yeah. My favorite picture in this batch, where is it here? I'm scrolling through it to find it here. My favorite is that he apparently attended an EAA chapter meeting right. in like Malaysia or something like that. In Kuala Lumpur, yeah. 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 Uh, very cool, very cool. I'm trying to it's see if I can cool. read the poster. And see oh, it. right, right at the Malaysia EAA chapter 1090. There we go. So, yeah, very cool. Good. EAA's grip is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Kuala Lumpur. Yep, very, very cool. Well, yeah, uh, he's he's supposed to do um, uh, Long Beach is, is when he's is where his uh, feet dry kind of thing. Goats feet dry in the U.S. and that leg from Hawaii to Long Beach is twenty one hundred thirty five nautical. Uh, yeah, okay. And all of the other legs um, that um, uh, well, one leg he's flown, which was Dubai to Sri Lanka. 
was like 1500 1600 uh, um, he may have flown a leg that that comes cl- yeah not at 11 hours 15 or 13 15 uh, so that that Hawaii long beach leg apparently will still be the longest mm-hmm. quite an adventure quite an adventure so uh, people can take a look at his blog um, and I believe uh, uh, is it the AOPA site has been publishing a lot of stuff about him uh, AOPA site probably has um, the blog not only has uh, pictures and, and uh, details on the airplane um, there's also a, a real-time tracker uh, that um, actually shows him the last the last uh, ping on it actually shows him um, an hour 24 minutes out of Guam uh, headed for Majuro and that's obviously no longer accurate but uh, when he's airborne he's also uh, at least when he's near radar he's also on like flight radar 24 and um, uh, this, this spider tracks uh, I'm looking uh, at this map from the flight tracker alright yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. where is Hawaii there's Hawaii okay you gotta zoom so, way out there's yeah. a whole lot of blue between there's water a lot just of to say blue water out. between uh, between Guam and Hawaii um, and I hope someone pointed out to him that he's heading in the wrong direction uh, the map's probably not very accurate I'm making a joke but, uh, no it, it's he's, it's a matter of there's no fuel yeah at Wake or Midway, I believe, is the is part of the problem. Yeah. Oh, he's not from Hawaii. Not from Guam. Well, I don't or not know. from yeah. Juro. I, I don't that, know. No, the reason the reason he went, I, I think the reason he went to uh, Majuro from Guam is there's no fuel available at like Midway or I Wake see. Island. I see. Okay. And now that I've scrolled around the, the map a little bit, I see Majuro, and he is he's on track for Majuro, so he's okay. He's good. He's good. Well, wow. yeah, I think I, I think there's only kerosene available at Wake and in uh, in uh, Midway, because they both have uh, they both get visits from uh, airliners. Right. But you know, hundred low lad airplanes, not, not so very often. Not so, not, so yeah. not so much. Well, very very cool. Very very cool. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to him getting back to the lower 48. Yeah. I'm sure he I'm sure he is too. I can't wait to chat with him. He's going to have some stories for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. What else is going on here? Uh, FAA is going to save some birds. Apparently, I don't know. This is a story, another story from a while back, but I, I just thought I'd bring it up because it. I don't know. Maybe this is a good idea. It seems silly to me. FAA. I'm sorry. Let me let me op- actually open the link and read you the story here. This is from uh, the Guardian, uh, which is a Guardian website, which is a, a fairly reputable uh, news source. Uh, FAA aims to save millions of birds by changing static red airport lights so uh i I think if i'm summarizing this correctly by saying that uh, someone discovered that the red lights that we see all over airport grounds um actually attract birds i guess they like the flashing red lights or something like that and uh and so they're going to change the red lights to something else is this a thing you know anything about this this is first i've heard about this actually In an attempt to say, I'm reading from the first couple graphs here, in an attempt to save some of the millions of birds that die each year after being bewildered by airport illumination, well, that could describe me too, um, changes will be made to the U.S. lighting towers that warn approaching pilots. Oh, maybe this isn't the, the on the airport grounds. This is uh, uh, lights on, on towers. Uh, Federal Aviation Administration says it will change the lighting on towers across the U.S. Ah, different story. Um, Across and, the US. and that's not a bad idea for the aviators either. Yeah, is red not yeah. a good color for being seen at night? It's, 
Uh, well, it, it when it flashes, it gets more attention, and uh, all of you out there that have flown at night, particularly flying into an urban area, have probably experienced the, the phenomenon where you can't tell whether that's a tower red light that you're looking at or whether that's a traffic light on the ground behind a tower. Oh, yeah, okay. And, you know, so if you're trying to avoid towers and some of the airports that we've flown into in the past – the uh, instrument approach was designed. Or approaches were designed to take you around really tall towers, so you could get down to a reasonable altitude to start the approach. Uh, on the towers where the lights flashed, it was far easier to pick them out as towers. Okay. From the uh, light pollution of uh, tail lights and traffic lights and. <coughs> Stuff on the ground. Uh, I don't think they're going to uh, mess with the uh, runway lights, though, because runway lights are white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't and know. they're not as big an issue. Um, I also reading from the story here, the research found that static red lights attract birds, often in large migratory flocks, which then circle the light repeatedly, often collapsing of exhaustion and dying on the ground. Some birds perish after hitting towers or surrounding wires. So, uh, so I don't know. I so, guess. so I guess one of the things we should learn from this is don't fly around steady red lights at night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, don't, or if you do, I don't know. It's like good point. Good point. <laughs> isn't there a regulation of a? There's a, a circling about a moose is a is a is a, 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 a casual way of describing an actual FAA regulation that I was told about quite some time ago. Apparently, circling. Circling about a moose. Yes, apparently, uh, and we should just like it's too bad we don't have a device that we could use to look this up. I, I but I think it, it it's, certainly is. As I understand it, it's either in the aim or it's some Alaskan, you know, more local um, guidance. All right, but in the same way that there are guidelines for how to maneuver around like an un- untowered airport or things like that. All right, there is guidance for if you are doing sightseeing. All right, and you want to observe a moose on the, that that you see on the ground. All right. That you're supposed to, I don't know, circle it, maybe left turn turns or right. It's one or the other, obviously. Um, but they do suggest a, a, a procedure to make sure that airplanes are a little bit less likely to meet head on while circling some particularly attractive moose. This is what I heard. Well, okay. I've just Googled circling, circling about a moose. <laughs> and say? I get some books about moose hunting and someplace called Moose Jaw. Okay. Uh, I get something on moose sickness, uh, which is a condition that occurs in moose. Yeah. Um, I, but I don't see anything about flying over moose. Well, and and truth be told, I heard this story like literally twenty years ago. So maybe I don't know. It's a thing. Let's see, flying over moose. Yeah, I'm not finding. I did. I did airplane. I get a lot of images. Circle a moose. All right, and. Uh, Nope. Circling a moose. No, I, I have to call blowing snow on that okay, one. Okay, all right. Listeners, <laughs> listeners, you got to tell, especially if any of listeners up in Alaska, tell us what the, what the yeah. procedure is here and, and if, it is, uh, if, if it is officially defined. That's what we want to know. Is circling a moose, yeah. is there a particular... Yeah, I mean, it, it, in my experience, and then I do have a little bit of experience circling uh, wildlife, um, the... You still have to fly the airplane. Yeah, well, okay. uh, um, and 
sometimes it's useful to, if you're going to make a 360 to the left, to look at something on the ground, whether it's a moose, a bear, um, uh, a, a Florida beach, uh, it, it doesn't really matter. Make a 360 to the left, roll out of that, maneuver around, make a 360 to the right. That way you're not going to get the leans, you're not going to get uh, dizzy, you're not going to, uh, you're going to make sure that you maintain control of the airplane. Okay. Um, yeah, and you can't leave us that way, all right? Uh, you, you, you said you have some experience flying around animals on the ground. James is the one who used to fly, and uh, he, was, he was supporting a, a program that was counting swans, I think. No joke. I mean, it was like some, yeah, some flavor yeah. of swan. I, I always re- find it remarkable that they were able to see the swans well enough from the air, but apparently, I guess they probably flew. Well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm guessing they weren't using um, James's 252. Yeah, uh, so they're probably using something a little bit lower or a little bit slower. Anyway, I a little was bit more. The impression miserable. they were using is Mooney, but you may be correct. You may be correct. I always assumed that that's what we'll have to ask him next time we talk to him. We'll talk. Yeah, we'll, we'll ask him. What, did, what um, animals did you circle? I'm sorry, did you tell us that already? Bear, moose, uh, maybe some caribou. I don't remember. Uh, it's been a while. In oh Florida. hell! Oh hell no! <laughs> in Alaska. I didn't. How, how much? What kind of flying did you? When? How long? How much flying well, did you I do was, in Alaska? I was kind of stuff loading freight for a lot of that, but um, I, you know, I distinctly be, remember being in the back end of a Super Cub and racking around to look at moose on occasion. Well, so yeah, yeah. Okay. Very very cool. Nice. Story from. Uh, General Aviation News, um, and I, I just this caught my eye. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, yeah. Uh, air racing. All right. Um, when I think of air racing, I think of I mostly think of Reno, which is is for the most part high performance. Although there's a wide variety of aircraft at Reno, um, and then secondarily, I think of some of the longer uh, I, I, I can almost consider like rally kind of races uh, that go you know long distance across the country and multiple stops and whatnot. And I guess that's more like what we're talking about in this story um, is the, uh, a guy who, uh, who uh, kind of spoke up and said, I'm going air racing and in a most unlikely airplane here. He tells a story about how uh, he said, well, let me just read the first couple of graphs here. Um, this is from Santa Rosa, New Mexico. I'm an unlikely air racer. This is written by a gentleman named William Dubois. Uh, first, I'm 52 years old, as if that's old. I don't understand what that's supposed to mean. Uh, second, I have no sponsors beyond my 401k plan. Third, my plane is a uh, pedestrian when it comes to airspeed. He, he wrote the ah. Uh, uh, still, with all these cards stacked against me, I plan to race this season, and I plan to win. Um, he's going flying in his... Uh, in his, uh, in he's his got an air coupe. Air coupe. I know, huh? It's an air coupe. Yeah. What's the... You what? know, we, we talked for years about organizing uh, air coupe races out of uh, Benton, Kansas. There were two or three friends of ours that had air coupes, a couple of other guys that we knew more casually that had air coupes, and we always thought it would be really fun. You could do the race in the pattern, and everybody could see it. Nice, yeah. Uh, you know, and and it, it's the magic of handicapping, right? They can somehow uh, uh, make conversions so that uh, airplanes of different types can compete against each other, and, and uh, they're... Um, he writes. See what's apparently it's part of a sports. It's, it's a it's a league called the Sport Air Race League, a uh, non-professional air race organization. It, it self-describes its mission as racing for the rest of us, and uh, it's not a head-to-head dash. Uh, rather, they are limited to time interval races with launches in fastest first order. 
Um, it's not a spectator sport. It's racing for pilots. Anyways, he goes on and talks about this. And it's just kind of interesting. He says he said he said he set a uh, world speed record last summer in it. For for air groups, in, in his air group, yeah, for a world speed record for air groups of his tail number, you know, or no, for his his. Well, that's that's entirely possible. You know, one of the things about um, I didn't I didn't ask Al about um, he's likely setting a record for his class of airplane uh, between these city pairs that he's flying. Uh-huh. If if only because no one has ever applied for a record between those two city pairs or that city pair. Right, and and you can easily you know you have to pay some money you have to do a little bit of paperwork and and you have to uh, coordinate some things with observers uh, to to um, verify the, that the flight occurred, but you can easily get your name in the history books that way. Yeah, what what body? And, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be you know uh, a Guam to Majuro either. It could be uh, um, Podunk to Arkihoma. Yeah. If no one's ever flown that route before, and no one's ever applied for a for a record between that that city pair, knock yourself out. Not Nashua, New Hampshire to Sanford, Maine. Probably. Maybe. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, you can be a world and, record holder. And, and, and remember the F, uh, the the federation that uh, certifies world records. They break these down into different classes. Yeah. So. Uh, the uh, air coupe would uh, admittedly be in one of those lighter, slower classes, uh-huh. but a record is a record. Yeah, what, what is this body that certifies these things? Do you know the, its, its name? Federation Aeronautique Internationale. Oh, I've heard of them. Okay. and uh, FAI, yeah. And so basically, what, you go on their website? I'm being really snippy here. This is kind of cool stuff, actually. Uh, you, you, well, you can start it with the National Aeronautics Association here right. in the States, yeah. because they're the U.S. Uh, signatory to FAI. And uh, so you can run the paperwork through here. They'll submit it to FAI, and FAI will confirm it and put it in the books. Uh-huh. And do like a swell certificate of some sort, right? And Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. We sh- Yeah. I don't know. We should, and and we there, should. there are books. There are books published each year about getting and and, and who, who has the current record, for example. Yeah. And um, um, you know, some of these are, you know, of course, you know, Mach Mach seven or something. Right. But yeah. uh, for the for the rest of us. <laughs> um, right. We should. We should like. We should sponsor a race. We should. We should. We should form. We should. Race. We could do the the the, the uncontrolled airspace uh, invitational. Yeah, and you know what the you know what the prize would be. You know what the award would be. The, huh. the U cup. The U. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm done. Thank you very much. Tip. Tip your waitresses. Uh, oh man. So. Uh, David, this is a David story. Well, this is a Kansas story. This is a Wichita story. Um, this is a Doc story. So Doc apparently finally taxied. This is we, we've sort of lost track of Doc a little bit. We were all excited last spring about the possibility that Doc was going to fly last last summer, and uh, and apparently didn't. Um, and now has uh, David. Do you know much about this story? What's going on out there? Oh yeah, I talked to some friends of mine about it uh, yesterday after it happened. I was uh... for those out of the out of touch here. What is Doc? Doc is, uh, when it's flying, it'll be the second airworthy and operating B-29 left in the world. Mm-hmm. And Doc was part of a squadron, uh, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, she uh, was delivered to the uh, U.S. military in 1945. She didn't see action during World War II. 
but she was in service for about nine years and then retired to a naval gunnery range out west where she spent, I don't know, 50 years as a, as a target. And uh, local business uh, businessman found out about it. He helped get it hauled out of the desert. They looked for a place to restore it. And since that B-29 came out of Wichita, as a matter of fact, all 1,600 B-29s, I believe, came out of Wichita, uh, they uh, brought it back here. And a volunteer crew has been working on it for years now. Uh, They got it, the engines fired up late last year. Uh, They riveted the data plate on it about a month ago. They've run the engines more than once. Now they're waiting on their uh, their airworthiness certificate from the FAA. Ah, okay. Yesterday, on the uh, on the uh, lucky May twelfth, they fired up two of the engines and uh, put a couple of miles on it, taxiing around on the uh, west side of McConnell Air Force Base. One step closer to getting airborne. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah I'm looking at a. Uh, there's a great video, and, and there are some very happy people. I bet there are. Oh. I'm looking at this video right now. I muted the sound, so I don't know what they're exactly saying. But uh, the video on uh, – if you go to YouTube, um, it's uh, the, the YouTube account, YouTube channel is called Doc's Friends. Um, and so you can probably find it that way. Um, and it uh, shows pictures of it, of it taxiing. I'm watching it taxi here. And uh, Doc – Well, it's the, some, uh, some, of the, some of the people that have been active in the uh, – restoration of doc and it's doc because you remember this the seven dwarves from right. the snow white okay from the snow white story uh the other was sneezy goofy uh, they didn't make it but doc survives okay. uh, were there seven but of some of the people point? restoring it yeah there was a, it was a squadron of eight aircraft okay, snow white right. the seven dwarves yep okay but some of the people that have been working on this over the years were on the production line at Boeing Wichita in the 40s and actually worked on this airplane when it was coming down the line in uh, 1944, early 45. Uh, I interviewed one of the ladies for a story at the show daily two years ago at Oshkosh, and she uh, did the uh, – Front cockpit sections and put in all that uh, uh, all that uh, plexiglass. I guess that's what it was in that uh, goes into the cockpit and the nose. And she was back there at Wichita to uh, help advise on how they put it back together. And then she came to Oshkosh two years ago to help raise money for it. And and she's still around. I'm that's so cool. I, I'm so tickled for these folks. They've worked so hard pulled so long uh raising money has been a real chore and there's still more need because once it's done they need a place to put it uh-huh. and right now they don't have a permanent home for it oh. uh, and one of the problems with b-29s one of the reasons why so few survived was the alloy, the aluminum alloy that they used in them for strength and lightness, very, very low corrosion resistance characteristics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, uh, they, they had to replace major portions of the wing, uh, the outboard parts of the wings. Uh, they refabricated some from scratch. Others they got from other airplanes in boneyards. Uh, some of that didn't work out. Uh, it just wasn't meant to last 
more than about 75 missions. Yeah, if that. Right, yeah, they were that. very disposable, so to speak. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, well, cool. Maybe flying soon. So, do they feel like it's airworthy, and they're just waiting for the paperwork, or where do they feel the the, the team? They, they they feel like it's airworthy. It's it's ready to go. They did some low speed taxi tests. Oh, I'm sorry, it was on May 11th, two days ago. Uh, they'd started the engines and run them several times. Powered up the hydraulics, uh, cycled things like flaps, moved the controls. This was the first time since 1956 that it moved under its own power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So hats off to Doc's friends. Uh, you guys have done a tremendous job. Absolutely. Can you name the seven it, dwarfs? Name the seven dwarfs. No, no. but I, I can refer you to George Carlin's discourse on no. Wait a minute. <laughs> can we talk? Is this a George Carlin? No, can we, we, it's not for a family podcast. Not for a family podcast. <laughs> Uh, Doc, Sneezy, Grumpy, Dopey, Sleepy, Sneezy. Hagrid, and Dumbledore. No, no, that's not them. Sneezy, Sleepy. Uh, the listeners will fill us in on the other one. I'm not going to do this because cheated. that's cheating. I, I cheated. I looked it up. Um, very cool for Doc, though. That's very, very cool. What's next here? Are we... We're sort of slowly reaching the end of our allotted time here. Um, oh, the gyrocopter guy. I don't think we ever reported on this. Um, so this is the gentleman uh, who was uh, uh, committing a, uh, I don't know how to characterize it exactly. Civil disobedience. Civil disobedience that was uh, somewhat reckless and somewhat heroic and some, you know, a whole bunch of things. Um, Jeb, what, what did he get? He got, he got sentenced. He got 120 days. Yeah. And... Uh, was that final, or or was that that's apparently the final? This is apparently final, and uh, he's probably served a good bit of that already. Yeah, was it like in in jail, or was it house arrest, or was it did it, did it say? Actually? I don't, I don't know. This this isn't he all was, that uh, specific. Yeah, he was uh, released. He was released uh, on conditions that uh, he was restricted to traveling within the Florida county where he lived. And uh, the, and the congressional district where he's he's uh, running against Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the chairman right. of the chairman of the DNC. Anyway, he uh, he's been out, uh, but that was pending sentencing, I think. And now that right. he's been sentenced, uh, he uh, I'm wondering how he's serving that. And uh, and I'm assuming th- you know things like his well, he didn't. What kind of pilot's license did he have? Maybe he wasn't like actually certified. I mean. He, I don't think he had to have one for this aircraft. Right. <clears throat> except uh, once he started loading a bunch of weight on it, I think it went overweight. Yeah, I don't, that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I remember that part of the story. Sure. So, anyways, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was uh, legal ultralight until yeah. he put extra fuel in it and uh, was carrying was. all the weight. That's, and, that's what it was. Yeah. Flying an un, yeah yeah uh, flying an airplane aircraft I should say. Uh, uh, that was no longer part 103. Yeah. Douglas Hughes is his name. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Well, and it's typical. Uh, one of our friendly House of Misrepresentation members uh, said the guy was lucky to be alive and should have been blown out of the air. Yeah. Bite my shiny metal bleep. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, well, okay. Let's see now. You know, this is a story that kind of popped into my mind the other day that I haven't thought about in a while. Um, a year, little under a year ago, uh, there was a tragic midair um, in uh, down in the southeastern U.S., I believe it was, and uh, 
um, where a, a F-16 collided with a Cessna 150. Um, the uh, two people in the 150 were killed. The F-16 was managed to land. Um, and I was just kind of curious whether there'd been any follow-up on this. I did a little research this afternoon, and there, there's no final on, on STSB. Have you guys heard anything more about this story at all? Uh, no, except if you start carefully reading the prelim on this, um, it sounds like the F-16 pilot was just behind the airplane. That was, yeah. I, I mean, you know, based on no information at the time, that was what I was speculating. It just sounded like, he, he, you know, because he was doing instrument practice solo in VFR yeah. and, uh, or VMC. And, uh, VMC. The, the the 150 it wasn't doing anything wrong. I had an early theory that uh, there's a <clears throat> there's an instrument route, um, one of those low altitude military routes right. where aircraft can be in excess of 250 knots, um, that runs right by the the 150's departure airport, and it wouldn't take a whole lot of of uh, magic uh, for that F-16 pilot to have been on that MTR. Mm -hmm. But that turns out not to have been the case. Mm -hmm. He was being vectored for an instrument approach um, and uh, presumably was doing it head down. Yeah. That's what it sort of sounded like, again. That's, based, that's kind of what it sounds like. You know, as I recall, this is the story also where ATC kept saying, you know, you've got a 150, you know, look for it. And, and Yeah, he had traffic called out to him, but... Uh, he was above, uh, according to the radar squawks uh, in the uh, in the factual here. Uh, he was above and closing fast, and you know even at uh, e even at only 250 knots, uh, something as small as a uh, as a 150, 152 is. Uh, if you're dividing your time between out heads out and head down. Uh, not the easiest thing in the world to see. Yeah, yeah. You, you just said something, David. I, I, not to not to ping you here, but uh, this is, uh, factual is different than preliminary. Is that correct in NTSB report parlance? Isn't factual the first kind of quick look? At the, the, the yeah, and, and, and I'm looking at the preliminary too. And I believe what we're looking at here. Oh, I I, I didn't find the factual. I just found the preliminary. And then the yeah, preliminary this is kind the, of lives this for is a the while. Preliminary. Yeah, this is the prelim. Um, this is the standard. Statement of fact. Now, there's a there is a, something they call a factual, um, and it, it's it's just an initial report, really. Right, that's it's what just I, yeah. an initial kind of a placeholder, for lack of a better word. Right. Uh, the prelim is the the latest and newest and and most detailed information available from the NTSB. That doesn't mean that some other agency, U.S. Air Force, might not have conducted an investigation. <laughs> also, yeah. yeah. And then the final, the, the sort of final stage of this will be called the called the final report, right? Or the, is that, at, at, well, at the NTSB level, the final um, determination will be a probable cause finding. Right. Thank you. That's what I want. That's the word I was looking for. Probable yeah. cause. So, all right. Well, I, I got one to throw in here. Yeah. Huh? Uh, you, you know, we've talked off and on for uh, a number of years now about attempts to. Uh, reform the third class medical requirements for private pilots yes and uh twice now the senate well tw two other times the senate has passed a third class medical reform bill uh 
once as a standalone and again as a uh, pilot's bill of rights to add on. And today it looks like the Senate Armed Services Committee has passed it again as a uh, uh, an add-on to the National Defense Authorization Act. Seriously? Seriously. Now, which, which, which version, A, where are you hearing this? B, which version of the Inhofe third-class medical bill? Well, it, uh, it didn't say the, whether they did the, uh, they took the medical reform language from the PBOR 2 and put it in the defense authorization bill. Uh, this was the Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, did it today. The vote was 23 to 13. Huh. And knowing the Senate uh, and how much they love our military, as we all do, and respect them greatly. But uh, this is uh, very likely to get uh, this out of the Senate yet again and over to the House with a very large uh, body of support from the Senate side. Yeah. So now, there remember, are now three ways that the House can screw this up. Yeah. Remember, though, there's two different versions of this legislation. Uh, there's the original, as introduced, PBOR 2 language. And then there's what I would call um, the Inhofe Compromise that significantly amended um, right. the original provisions. Um my question is, and I'll have to we'll have to research this offline, um, is which version of the Inhofe language, PBOR two or Inhofe compromise, uh, was uh, passed passed out by the Senate Armed Services Committee? I, and I, I will find you, out. Yeah, this is from AOPA's PR shop, and they don't just they don't distinguish which version <laughs> it's passed. They just said it was Inhofe's uh, third class medical reform language. From the PBOR too, so this is very interesting. Not, not that I'm not happy that these that this this quote unquote progress is ma- is being made, but it, it it's just uh, strikes me as amazing that this is being pushed so hard by somebody or somebody's. Do, do you guys know anything? I mean, is this is this Inhofe that's just making this all happen, or is there? You know, I know there's the big caucus, and that's not not Inhofe alone. No. Uh, there's quite a number of others. He's he's the spark plug. He's the guy that uh, got it started. Uh, but uh, the General Aviation Caucus in the Senate has been pretty much 100% behind this. Uh, and they've pushed it along. And uh, then we can't forget the uh, lobbying pressures of our, 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 our favorite alphabet groups, uh, AOPA, EAA, uh, NBAA even, uh, and they've kind of pushed the Senate to take every opportunity available to get this in front of the House in hopes that one of these days the House will take up one of these ways that actually gets the bill in front of the president. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Right, let's, let's, I, uh, hopefully it'll happen. Yeah, uh, just... from, from reading this article, uh, it sounds like, or reading this press release that I found on AOPA's website, uh, it, it does sound like uh, Inhofe was prime driver in getting this attached. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, again, you know, a couple of phone calls or an email, we'll figure it out, but we're not going to do it right now. So, if you haven't, write your house member. Yeah, that's Tell right. Them to get their ass. I'm sorry to get their <clears throat> posterior in gear. 
uh, yeah. because they they seem to be the hold up over there for pretty much everything that the Congress needs to finish. That's right. Yeah. The, um, the way. Time to get this over with. Let's do this. And and you know, as we get closer to Oshkosh, you know, Inhofe's going to want to peg this on anything that goes through. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, Inhofe and others would love to have this be yeah, able to get, be announced get, get this, this thing done. in July. Yeah, yeah no get this doubt. Done. That'd be cool. That would be very good. That would be good for aviation. That would be very, very good for aviation. I think. Uh, shout outs. What's going on, David? Tell us about Deland Deland Airport. Just kind of becoming. It was. It's apparently already a happening kind of place if you're into a particular kind of aviation uh, uh, stuff. <laughs> Well, Deland, Deland has been a uh, a focal point of of skydiving for years. Deland, Florida, uh, to to close it out. Right, and I mean, uh, in a big way, David. Right, in a big way. Not like not like one skydive operation or two or three. Right? Didn't I hear a number that was like twenty or something? Some crazy number. Like uh, there's there's multiple skydiving operations there. That's been the location for multiple collegiate and international uh, competition over the years. Uh, Zephyr Hill is another one uh, on the other side of the state. Uh, and some of the folks that helped make the Sebring Sport Aviation Expo a success are now uh, involved in launching the Deland Sport Aviation Showcase, mm-hmm. which is going to have its debut uh, first week in November, yeah. November three, four, and five, they're going to do a, a, a an abbreviated debut version of it, and I'm not sure that November is where they're going to settle on for a permanent date. But being the clever people that they are, and uh, this is uh, Jana Phillip, uh, the lady that over in, who went over in Sebring helped uh, make uh, that show so successful. She's kind of the spark plug on this over at Deland. And she got to looking at the calendar, and lo and behold, the National Business Aviation Association Convention is November 1, 2, and 3 in Orlando. Which is right down the road. For people not familiar, Deland is just sort of just inland from Daytona, just to the north of Orlando. Yeah, it's maybe, maybe well, from the convention center uh, to Deland, probably an hour. That's what I'm told. An hour's drive north of Orlando, yeah. And uh, so they're going to hold their preview show there this uh, November 3, 4, and 5. And they've already got a lot of activities lined up. The uh, local community is uh, is uh, in on this full bore. Uh, so uh, something else to put on your calendar. Uh, I'm thinking about taking the last day of NBAA off from NBAA and uh, going the, uh, they say, 30 miles down the road from Orlando. Uh, but uh, taking a rental car and uh, driving over there that morning and uh, seeing how things are going. Yeah, no, I, likewise. I, I think you know, there's a possibility that UCAP will, uh, will have an, a, a presence there at, the, uh, yeah. at, at this new sport aviation thing. So uh, it's very, very yeah, cool. If I, get, if I get my usual ride down and back, uh, Friday uh, won't be an option for me to go over. Uh, 
But uh, Thursday is always the slowest day in NBAA, and by then I'm, I'm basically drifting around saying so long and picking up spiffs from the vendors that don't want to pack everything up and take it home. There you go. So uh, you go. instead of doing that, uh, I'm thinking I'll bug out of the uh, hotel, uh, head over to DeLand to see what I can see, and then get back to uh, Orlando in time to meet some friends for dinner. Yeah. Yeah, in addition to Jana Phillip, uh, from, who, who formerly was involved with the Sebring show, um, the airport manager there is apparently quite the go-getter. I, I, I didn't have a chance. He was wandering around Sun and Fun, and I kept missing him. Um, but I believe his name is John Eif, or it's E-I-F-F. I, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it, Eif or F or something like that. But uh, apparently a real go-getter, both in terms of, well, in, in generally in building that airport. Um, and uh, that's always a good thing when you've got somebody who's that devoted to a, a particular airport. Um, so it's all pretty cool. Check it out. It's uh, it's sportaviationvillage.com is their primary, their main website, and it talks about the uh, the uh, showcase and uh, they're working on putting creating an actual sport aviation village. Sounds like a some sort of year round uh, presence for sport aviation stuff there at Deland. Well, I know my old buddy DJ is fired up about it because, well, because uh, can, yeah, it's just down the street from where he lives. Yeah, it's like 10, 10 or fifteen minutes from his house. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Any other shout outs? Anybody? I'm trying to think if I got any, um, um, oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, aircraft electronics association had their, uh, their annual meeting, uh, earlier this month. Uh, uh, a good time was had by all, uh, some very interesting stuff going on. Um, and just a uh, shout out to them for having a great show and letting me be a part of it once again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any, any interesting news come out of that, or anything, anything you see that was cool? I mean, there were yeah. no, there weren't any any huge uh, earth shaking announcements to come out of it. No, um, but uh, they had a great show. They the uh, uh, the networking was phenomenal. Um, the uh, some of the, the more detail-oriented seminars were great. Uh, Huerta was down, um, gave a presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good show. Uh, everybody was smiling, um, um, very upbeat. And uh, uh, again, just a shout-out to AEA for pulling another one off. Yeah. Um, professional curiosity, where do they hold that? That's in Orlando, right? Is that the convention? This was in, or- this was in Orlando this year. Next year is going to be New Orleans. Yeah. When they did it in Orlando, was it at the convention center there in Orlando Convention Center or International no, it, Drive, the whole thing? Uh, it was kind of near International Drive, but it was at the uh, one of those big hotel convention uh, center complexes. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, that's kind I, of a home away from name, home. The me. name of which escapes me. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of a home away from home for me. I, I do oh, shows uh, down there. The, the Gaylord. The Gaylord. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, it was great. I've been to Gaylords before. Um, um, the Ferris wheel cool. Yeah, not coincidentally with with uh, other AEA shows. Um, this one was a lot more accessible than some of the others I've been to. The one in Nashville, you need you need a golf cart just to go get a cup of coffee. It's, well, that's it's insane. The, that's true at the uh, the actual big Orlando Convention Center for sure. So, yeah. anyways, yeah, very cool. David, any shout outs? Anything else? No, that no. Got, that's got me. Fork time. Fork time. Thank you guys for taking some time. I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to continue to. We're going to get. I think if I just used the headset on the. On your on on your the desktop. Desk, on the desktop, I think I'd be all right. But 
I, we got to talk offline about alternatives to what broke. Yeah, we'll have to figure that out. You're the computer guy. I mean, you're the Windows guy. I have, well, a, yeah. I have a good solution to your problem, but you don't want to hear it. So, <laughs> No, it's, the, the problem is not the computer. The problem is the peripheral. And I'm thinking that peripheral is no longer available, or maybe there's something better on the market. Well, that's a possibility. We, I mean, we had these things for, for four, four or five years, so maybe it's time for upgrade. Maybe. I don't know if it's – it may be in L.A. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll figure it out. Uh, the uh, tip chart has been doing good, so, uh, so uh, yeah. we can upgrade some gear if we need to. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's always fun talking with you. And Same here. I, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. David, been working on anything fun other than setting up your new computer? Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, and I was just trying to look up what it was. Uh, the... Uh, Oh, let's see. It got a piece coming out in uh, Av Buyer magazine here, here at the end of the month on the uh, the challenges of flying internationally into Europe, and uh, a little bit about what you have to go through, the paperwork, and uh, most of all, what it costs. Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting. Or how how it can cost you more than the than, than fuel and flying the airplane, yeah. j- just in fees. It's nice, but you're going to get upstaged by Al Icorn's article when it comes to Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Okay, that sounds nice. What else, David? Anything else? Uh, yeah, that'll, that, okay. that's su- sufficient. Where are you on the internet? Uh, well, in uh, Twitter, I'm Real Higdon, uh, or you can find me at uh, AEA.net for avionics news or avbuyer.com. Uh, my regular Friday business aviation blog is, uh, is there every week. And I won't tell you what this week's was, because by the time you hear this, there'll have been one or two more. Yeah. So, But they're all good, so go check them out. Yeah. And Jeb Burnside, we try to make them good. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What's up with you, Jeb? What are you working on? I uh, just put the, uh, uh, the June issue of Aviation Safety to bed uh, earlier in the week. Uh, I finally did get around to writing that. That JFK article we oh, talked really? about. I look forward to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll zap you a copy. Yeah, please do. Um, I even had a piece in there from Mr. Higdon. Oh, yeah. Oh, a, no, a, how did that happen? I'm shocked by this. It's a double threat. It's a. It's it's a double. It's yeah. All that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Anything else going on? Uh, did you um, write anything out of AEA or? Uh, yeah, I got. Uh, uh, um, article in uh, AEA's magazine covering uh, the, the the show that I just spoke about. Uh, I'm working on a follow-up piece uh, for that, so that's going to keep me busy this weekend. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, just had a column published in uh, GA News um, uh, on the website and, and uh, in the newspaper. Uh, you know, I'm just finishing up another column for that, another installment for that column. Uh, and um, that's about what I've been up to. That's it's been cool. a busy month, yeah. and uh, got one more uh, uh, one more big hill to climb. Uh, and after that, it's uh, it's playtime. Very cool. Very cool. Where can people find you on the internets? Um, let's see. The jeburnside.com is probably still there, but why bother? Um, there's I'm going to sit down with you one of these days, and we're going to put I something know. good on there. I, I don't know. know. I know. I know. I know. Uh, so AEA.net's a great place uh, to go. Uh, best place to start is aviationsafetymagazine.com. 
uh, I guess I'm on the Twitter machine too at Burnside J and um, GA News. There you go. There you go. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can follow me at Twitter, where it's uh, twitter.com slash jackhodgson. Uh, you can learn more than you really want to know about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. As always, uh, and I can never say this often enough, big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums and just generally kind of giving us a clue of what's going on uh, out there in the world. He's a, a great supporter and friend and, and helper and, uh, and everything to this podcast for a long time now, my goodness. Been doing it nearly as long as we have. Thanks to uh, Mike Morgan, to uh, Royce Earl, to Jim Goldman, and to many of the other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. You can get all the details about this at patreon.com slash uncontrolledairspace. And while you're at it, please go into iTunes and give us a review. Uh, click some stars in there. Uh, it really helps us uh, get the word out about the podcast. You can uh, follow the podcast itself on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word, class, and then the letter G is in the middle there, airspace. Uh, you never know what might turn up there. You can also listen to UCAP in the free section of Sporty's Pilot Shop's mobile app, Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporty's content. Get your UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP Swag Shop. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. There's 10 years worth of UCAP show notes and episodes for download. Uh, and uh, last but not least, chat with us directly and with many of our fellow listeners uh, on the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you're going to say something? The only way to achieve the old age we know you want to is to fly it because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. But you knew that. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. It's really probably a good thing we didn't talk about that George Carlin thing. I think it's for the best. (laughs) I think it's for the best.